Good morning, good morning. It's great to see each of you. Um, if I have not had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I would love that opportunity to do so. Uh, so after the service, I would love for you to swing by and say howdy to me out in the uh, uh, entryway if you haven't had a chance to meet yet. If I have not had a chance to meet you yet. Uh, I'm Alan Pittman. I have the pleasure of serving as a senior pastor here, as well as one of the elders. And we are absolutely thrilled that you're worshiping with us here in this room and also online. If you are a guest, we'd love to have a record of uh, your attendance so that we can reach out to you, get you some more information about the church. And you can use one of those connection cards that's near you in a seat near you. You can fill that out and just drop that in the offering plate when it's passed a little bit later. Um, I hope that you were here a moment ago to see the, uh, the welcome video because it had lots of information in it, but it also mentioned one of our members, Bill McGee, and uh, it is just a pleasure to be able to celebrate his 90th birthday today. Uh, he has been such a blessing to this church family. Uh, this, church, this church is here today because of, not because of Bill, but because of Bill and people like him, Bill and Isla and Gene Revis and others that are maybe still in this room that were a part of the beginning of this church 25 years ago. And God has used those individuals to help us start this church, continue to see what God's doing in the midst of us, and we are going to celebrate our 25th anniversary coming up on September the 11th. So be sure and be here. Uh, let folks know about it. We'll be celebrating the 25th year. Uh, we'll be talking about it in the morning service, but especially in the evening. I believe it's scheduled for 5 o'clock. We'll be doing a covered dish meal to celebrate our 25th year. And so um, anyway, just wanted to kind of remind you about that information. Information. Also, there are lots of things coming up, coming up starting in the fall semester. And so hopefully when you came in the door, you should have seen the signs. It tells all of the information of everything that's going to be going on during the fall semester with worship services, with children's activities, youth activities, our equipping classes and all of that. Most of those things have changed days of the week and or time on the, the schedule. So be sure and look at it. One big thing is starting the first Sunday of September, which is September the 4th, this worship service will begin at 1030. So you want to kind of make a mental note of that. Between now and the end of August, we'll continue to worship at 10 o'clock, but then after that, it'll start at 1030. One thing that is incorrect on the sign is we have made an adjustment to Awana. Uh, you'll see that our Awana Children's Program says one date on the sign, but the true date that we're starting that program is on September the 18th. So hopefully you'll plan to be a part of all those things that are going on in the life of our church. When you came in this morning, I uh, hope that you were able to pick up a worship guide because on the back of the worship guide, there's a place where you can take notes as we move through the sermon this morning. You'll see that next week we'll be preaching uh, out of Psalm 150, uh, but today we'll be looking at Psalm 121, and you can take notes as we move along if you'd like to do that. Um, if you have a Bible, would you go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 121? It's basically right in the middle of your Bible, and you can uh, find it that way. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, feel free to grab one that's in a chair around you. If you don't have one at the house or you need one, feel free to take that with you. That'll be our gift uh, to you today. As we begin this process of looking at Psalm 121, I wanted to tell you a little bit about a trip that my family and I took way back in the day when I was either in older elementary age or younger middle school age. I can't remember which. Uh, we went up to the East Coast, and one of the places we went to was Washington, D.C., and I remember that my dad wanted to get the lay of the land, and so I think it was almost midnight when we decided to go out and get a lay of the land and see where we needed to go the next day. That was kind of the wrong move to make because we back then didn't have this thing called GPS. We didn't have this thing called internet and cell phones and all of that, so we had the good old Rand McNally 
uh, atlas. You remember those things? And so uh, we're trying to follow where we're going, and we get lost in Washington, D.C. at about midnight. Not a good feeling. My dad's like, turn the light off. We don't want anybody to know that we're lost. And I'm like, this says Texas on the back. We are lost. And so I remember we're sitting there, and, and what appeared to be something out of a horror flick, a guy starts staggering across the road. We're at a red light. He's dragging his feet, and you're like, he's going to come over here and kill us. I just know it's going to happen. Thankfully, it turns green, and we get away, and we're scared to death, or at least I am, and then some good Samaritan pulls up beside us and says, uh, it looks like y'all might be lost, we're like, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, we'll take you back to safety, and they were able to get us back to where we were going. Sometimes when you take trips, you just want to get out of that trip alive, and we succeeded at that, and the reason I say that is because in Psalm 121, we're going to see that, that, that there is this aspect of sometimes trips being a bit scary or daunting. The Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, knew all about trips. They, they knew about two trips for sure, one of which was a trip from Egypt to Israel to the promised land that took them 40 years. That was a pretty scary road trip. And then they were taken into captivity by the nation of Babylon, and then we find out that they get out of exile and they make a journey back to Jerusalem. So then on top of that, they knew what it was like to go from the surrounding villages and towns as they went two or three times a year to Jerusalem on a road trip so they could worship the Lord at an annual festival. And so Psalm 121 is a part of a selection of the Psalms, starting in Psalm 120 that goes through 134. It's referred to as the Song of Ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S. In fact, if you look down at your Bible, it probably says a Song of Ascents underneath the beginning of Psalm 121. It was a bit of a songbook, if you will, for the trips that they would take to Jerusalem. And as they sang these, as they recited these, they were reminded of God's faithfulness. And the reason they were called Song of Ascents is because basically Jerusalem is at one of the highest points in the nation of Israel. So regardless of where you came from, the north, south, east, or the west, you would be going up, if you will, to the city of Jerusalem. And so it was referred to as the Song of Ascents. And so in Psalm 121, we're going to see that the Lord provides protection for his people on their journey. Whether you're going to Jerusalem with the, the pilgrims for the religious festival or whether you're going through the journey of life. And so this morning we're going to look at Psalm 121, one of my favorite psalms of all of the 150 of them. This one may have been written as the people were getting ready to go back from exile to Jerusalem. And it discusses the hazards of travel. Let's look at it together. Psalm 121. Here's what the psalmist says. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Anytime you read God's word, you want to see a repetition, especially in the book of Psalms. Whenever you see a repetition, there's a reason why it's been repeated over and over and over again. And perhaps you've seen a repetition already with the word keep or keeper. So we're going to look at this text this morning, and we're going to see, as the title says, that our help comes from the Lord. Whatever you're facing in life, our help comes from him. And so 
the first note on your sermon note says this, acknowledge. First, we have to acknowledge our need for help. We're not going to get help until we acknowledge that we need that help, right? Or we're not going to be able to receive, I should say, that help until we really are aware of our need. So in verses 1 and verse 2, we see that there's an awareness of his need. Let me ask you a question. Those of you that are parents or, or grandparents or those of you that maybe are uncles and aunts or maybe you've been a babysitter, maybe you've just hung out with the kids in, in the nursery, have you ever been with a young child and they're working on something, whether it's a game or a toy or a puzzle or maybe they're getting ready to brush their teeth and they're getting toothpaste everywhere and they're like, I, I can do it, me, me do it, that kind of thing, where they can say, I can do this thing. And you're like, I really need to step in and help them. But they're so cute when they're trying to do it themselves. Like, I'm not going to let them get hurt, but it's so fun to see them expand their wings, if you will, and begin to grow up and see what it's like to kind of fend for themselves and figure things out and solve problems. When a child tries to do something on their own that they're really not quite capable of doing, as long as it's a safe thing, it's adorable, cute, sweet, and neat to see them as they're growing up. But as a Christian, all too often, we're trying to do things on our own without the help of God or his people, and it's not so cute whenever we try to do it on our own. It's not a healthy thing for us to try to do things without the help of the Lord. But all too often, as Christians, if we're not careful, we act as if that we are self-sufficient and we can manage and we don't need anybody's help even God's, and that's the wrong approach for us to take. For us to grow as Christians, we need help from God and from his people, but the question is, are we willing to admit it? Are we willing to say, I just need a little help here? In Psalm 121, in verse 1, the psalmist acknowledges his need. What does he say? He says, from where does my help come? It's an acknowledgement, I've got to get help. Like, I'm on this journey for him. He's on this journey. He's not sure what to do. He's not sure where to go. And perhaps he's probably not just on a journey. It's actually in the middle of a distressful moment for him. And so he's, he's struggling. He's dealing with some hardship. And he's like, where can I get my help? And so in verse, uh, the beginning of verse 1, he says he's lifting his eyes up to the hills. He says, I'm lifting my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And there's lots of different ways, or at least two or three different ways that you could interpret this idea of him looking to the hills. And depending on who you read and depending on how you study it, you may kind of come to a different conclusion of what he means. For him to say, I'm looking to the hills, where does my help come from? There's a different possibility. First of all, he could be looking towards the hills. He could be scared. He could say, there's danger ahead because I know that in these hills, as I travel towards Jerusalem and these hills to the side of me, there could be like people up there ready to attack me, like somebody at a higher point of reference. Or there could be bandits waiting on, on my way and they're planning to attack me and so as he looks at the hills perhaps he sees them and he's scared and so he goes where's my help going to come from or it could be that he's looking at the hills and he goes you know what those hills provide stability they provide refuge I could get up there and I could hide out if I needed to and so they could be finding their hope or security in the the strategic aspect of these hills for themselves or it could be that he's looking toward the hills, which is an indication I'm looking towards the Lord. 
Like I'm looking up to God. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It could be that he's looking up and he's anticipating seeing the temple when he arrives and he acknowledges that the Lord is the one who is going to provide for him. Either way, however that reference to looking to the hills comes out, he still asks the question at the end of verse 1, where does my help come from? And then in verse 2, he answers that question for himself. Look down in verse 2. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So regardless of maybe the nuances of what is meant by that phrase, looking to the hills, the conclusion is still the same. And that conclusion is there's only one place where true help comes from in whatever we're facing in life, and that help comes from the Lord. And I love the fact that he points out he's the maker of the heaven and the earth. And I think what he's saying is the creator God who made all of this, then surely he's able, he knows he is, to help me with whatever I'm facing. If the Lord made it all, he's sovereign, he's in charge and he can help me and he will so you and I are faced with the same question where does my help come from think in just for a moment like what is going on in your life right now that you need some help with what is the thing that maybe has you worried or stressed out what is the thing that maybe has you a bit anxious what is it that maybe you're trying to problem solve and the question is, where is your help going to come from in whatever you are facing? And you could look in lots of different places and try to find answers in lots of places. It could come from, you know what, I've got quite a bit of smarts. Like, I've got a great deal of intellect, and I'll figure out this problem. It could come from, I've got a lot of experience, I've got some skills, and I'll just kind of use my gifts, my skills, and I'll solve my problem. It could be that we say, you know what, I'm going to look to my stuff and my money is going to get me out of this. My material possessions, or maybe my friends or my family. We, we could look in lots of different places, but the reality is this, that yes, God could use some of these things that I just described, but ultimately only the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth can bring us the need that we, uh, the help for the need that we have. But all too often, our pride and our insecurities will prevent us from looking to him for help. Whenever we need help, if we're not careful, either our pride or our insecurities can keep us from seeking the Lord and his help. Here's some things that we could say. I, I, don't, I don't really need anybody's help. Like, I've heard that from a lot of people. Like, I can make it through life on my own. I don't need your help. I don't need God's help. I don't need the church's help. I don't need my hope group's help. I don't need my family's help. I don't need the government's help. I don't need anybody's help. It's just me and the big guy in the sky. And really, the reality is I'm not trusting on the big guy in the sky. I just think I'm going to handle it all myself. The reality is, though, 100% of us are needing the help from the Lord ain't none of us self-sufficient even though we think we are all too often in our nation we pride ourselves in the fact that I can pull myself up with my own bootstraps no those bootstraps you didn't make them God's giving you the opportunity we've got to trust in him and he's the one that's going to help us we are not our own self-made man or own self-made woman we need help Another thing we can say is, you know what, I, I can't take help. Because if I accept help, that's a sign of weakness. Like others will see that I'm, I'm weak and I can't take anybody's help. I can't take God's help because that would indicate that I'm some kind of weak person. I'm a man, I can do this. No, the reality is all of us are weak. All of us are in need. Everyone needs help. 
There's the flip side, though, the insecurity side. The idea of I, I'm beyond help. Like, I, my problem is so big, I can't get out of it. Like, I, I'm such a mess up that I can't get anything right. The reality is this, that, that all of us are sinners. All of us are mess ups. All of us need help. All of us technically are beyond help. But the Lord who made heaven and earth is more powerful than anything that we have done or anything that we've experienced. And therefore, he is more than capable. We can turn to him and he will help us. So be careful that either in your pride you don't avoid God or in your self-loathing, I can't do this, that you avoid God. Either way, all of us, 100% of us, need the help of the Lord. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. You see, everyone needs help. I know what you're thinking, Alan, like life's pretty smooth right now. Other than the fact that it's 143 degrees outside, life is pretty smooth. I don't need help right now. The reality is this, whether you're in a difficult, dire situation or not, whether life is having you riding high or not, all of us need the help of the Lord, whether life is going the way we want it to or whether we're down in the dumps. You see, we don't need to turn to God when life gets so junky that we go, God, help me. No, I need help every minute of the day. The Lord made us to be in right relationship with him, and therefore I am in, his, in need of his help. So my question for this one before we move to the next point is this. What is it in your life? Don't just like listen to this and move on. Take a moment and think about this. What is in your life keeping you from opening yourself up for help from God? What is keeping you from opening up to God and saying, God, I need your help. What is it that's keeping you from opening up and receiving the help from God's people? All too often, we'll say, yeah, I'm trusting in God. Like, I'm going to get his help. And then all along, your church family's trying to help you, and you won't take their help because you're like, God's going to show up. I don't need your help. Maybe God's showing up through your church family. Maybe God's showing up through your hope group. God's working in your midst. Are you willing to receive his help? and his help from his people. So the first thing we see is that we need to acknowledge our need for help. The second thing is we need to accept the Lord's help. It's found in verses three through six. In three through six, we see the kind of help that the Lord provides. The reason why he says, I know that the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, is where my help comes from is because of these things. So in verses three through six, we're gonna see the types of reasons or the nature of God's um, character that indicates that he gives us the help that we need and therefore we should accept it. Now I, I want us to look at verses 1 and 2, just glance at it, and then glance at verses 3, and actually you can just stop at 3 and 4 and, and see this. Look at the pronouns that are used in each of these verses. In verses 1 and 2, the pronouns that are used are the word I and my, and then in verses 3 through 6, the pronouns switch, and no longer is it I and my, it's you and your. So perhaps what we see in verses 3 through 6 is the response of someone that's more seasoned in their faith or more seasoned traveler to speak into the, 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 the life of someone who's struggling. 
In verses 1 and 2, they say, I'm looking to the hills. Uh, where does my help come from? He says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then it's like someone is whispering or shouting back to him, you're right. That is the right answer. And let's see why he's the right answer. And what I love about this is that if that's the case, if it's one person seeing his need and it's someone else speaking into his life, it's a reminder to us that we need to seek the Lord's help, yes, and then we need to be encouraged by others in our lives, and we at, at the same time need to be a source of encouragement for others. So here, let's look at kind of the advice or the response that we see. First of all, as I mentioned a moment ago, the word keep. In the ESV, if you've got a different translation, it might be the word watch, it could be the word protect, but the word keep shows up in verses 3 through 6 three different times, the word keep or the word keeper. And then when you look at the whole psalm, which is just eight verses long, the word keep or keeper shows up six times. So in other words, this is a major theme in this chapter. So as we think about accepting the help that comes from the Lord, the first way that we see his help is the fact that he is our keeper. In fact, verse 5 literally says that. The beginning of verse 5 says, the Lord is your keeper. I said a moment ago that in different translations, it could have the word watch, like he watches us. It could have the word keep watch to explain who God is. Another translation could be protect, that he protects us, or he's our protector. And so we see in this idea that there are two aspects of this idea of God being our keeper, that he both watches us, that he watches over us, and that he also actively protects us. So the reason we can accept the Lord's help is because he's watching over us. He's a good watchman over us. And not only does he see and go, yep, he's got a problem. All right, I'm going to go about my day. No, he sees our problem or our issue, and then it says, his word says that he is our protector. So not only can we accept his help because he is our keeper, but also we see in these verses that he is alert. Look at verse 4. It says that the Lord, the one who keeps Israel or keeps his people, it's not just the nation of Israel, his people, the one who keeps his people, it says at the end of verse 4, the Lord will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is a good watchman. He's not asleep on the job. He's awake. He's alert. He doesn't have to keep shifts and go, would somebody else watch for a bit? No, he doesn't sleep. He is watching over us constantly. Not to zap us, but to point us towards him, and to help us along the way. This reminded me of a, an account in the Old Testament. Perhaps you're familiar with it. We're not going to take the time to read the verses, but you may want to jot it down. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 18. There's a prophet of the Lord named Elijah. And there's a lot of prophets of, of this false god, this fake god called Baal, B-A-A-L. And so they have a showdown at the OK Corral, if you will. They're on top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah says, all right, boys, this is what I'm going to do. He said, you, and I think there's like over 100 of the prophets of Baal. I forget the number. I should have looked it up this week. But the prophets of Baal and the one prophet of the one true Lord, which is Elijah, they are going to take a, a, a sacrifice, lay it on an altar. They're going to call on their respective gods to ask their God to set the sacrifice on fire. And the one who sets it on fire, it says, the God who answers by fire, he is God. So the prophets of Baal go first, 
And apparently about four or five hours go by because of the wording of the time frame of what's going on. For four or five hours, the, the prophets of Baal are just begging on their false god to, to light the, the, the sacrifice on fire. And then I love what Elijah says. He kind of pokes at him a bit. And here's what he says. Perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. I love that because the reality is that all the other gods are not only asleep, they don't even exist. The reality is that the one true Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that we can call to for help, is not like these other false gods that are asleep on the job. He is awake, alert, and available to us. Uh, one of our elders uh, and his family spent the last uh, seven or eight months, no, really only about two months, over in Spain. And uh, while they were there, sometimes whenever I would send a text, I'd realize, oh, he's like asleep, and I'm sending him this text. That maybe isn't a polite thing to do. And so whenever we're on this earth, there's places where people are awake and asleep and uh, all, awake, yeah, awake and asleep and all of that. But God, he is never asleep. He's constantly alert. We can also accept the Lord's help because he is a firm foundation. Look at verse 3. This section begins with saying, he will not let your foot be moved. He won't let your foot slip. He won't let you stumble. Reminded me of a time that we were in uh, the nation of uh, Guatemala five or six years ago. And my daughter and I went with a group to climb up Pacaya, which is one of the uh, volcanoes there. And uh, it's kind of a straight uphill uh, climb. And then you get to a certain level, and it's where, through the years, the volcano has, uh, sorry, the, um, what's that stuff called? Lava. There we go. The lava has come down, and it's kind of a flat spot. And so the lava kind of for the most part, it stopped there, and so there's a ton of lava rocks from there to the very top. Well, we didn't climb to the very top, but we did kind of go towards that area, and when you get there, there's nothing but volcanic rock, and I don't know if you've ever been around volcanic rock or not, but it's like little pebbles and just all these loose pieces. Well, I did not have on hiking boots. I did not have on good shoes, and all I was doing is I was trying to go up where those lava rocks were was spin out, right? And so like I'm spinning out. I'm starting to fall to my knees. I'm like, I'm not ever going to be able to climb this thing. Even if I try to crawl it, I'm not going to. I'm just going to go tumbling down. When about that time, somebody's hand or, or a stick from above, somebody that had made it further than me, reached out to pull me up. And I realized there's no way that I can get from point A to point B without the help whenever I looked above and received that help. Now, that was a human being. It was somebody that was on this hike with us. But it reminded me of these words when it says, I'm, I'm looking to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from above. The, my help comes from the Lord. He's not going to let my foot be moved. You see, the problem that I had on Pekaya was that I was not in good shoes and I was not on a firm foundation. But whenever we trust in the Lord, it doesn't matter what shoes we have on. He is our firm foundation and he will not let us fall stay with me because i know what some of you are thinking some of you are thinking oh so you're saying there's no problems that ever arise in life if i'm a christian if i'm following jesus like i should i'll have no problems stick with me because that's not at all what i'm saying all right so when i say he won't let you fall stay with me he, he he's our firm foundation when we accept jesus help our feet are steady because they're steady with him. Look at verse 5. Not only is he our keeper, or not only is he alert, not only is he our firm foundation, he is our shade. Look in verse 5. Those of us that live here in College Station know this summer that shade is a good thing. 
Look at verse 5. He says, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun, verse 6, will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. What we see is that the Lord is with us at all times. He's our shade at all times, whether in the day or whether in the night. As I said, all of us can relate to this idea of how hot it is this summer. And depending on what translation you have, there's some other really uh, interesting words that show up here. When it says in verse uh, 6 in the ESV, the sun will not strike you. Some of them say the sun will not smite you. The sun will not kill you. The sun will not destroy you. We know what it's like and how we have to have a shade because the sun is so intense. We can relate to that, but, but maybe it's more confusing at the end of verse 6 when he says, but not the moon by night. You're like, I didn't know that the moon would hurt me. Like, I didn't think I was going to get burned by the moon. Like, last night, Ashley and I were sitting on the back porch. I don't know if the moon was out or not, but it was dark, and it was windy. And I said, boy, it feels nice out here. I looked at it. It was like 89 degrees. feels like 99. But it felt good because I had a shade, right? And so the question is, what does he mean by that he needs shade by night so that the moon won't strike me? Well, here's the deal. As these people would have been traveling back in the day, most of them would not have a tent. Or if they had a tent, it'd be just kind of a lean-to kind of thing, right? And so whenever they traveled at night, either they were traveling or they were camping and the deal was at night even though they were in a hot place at night it could be cold at the night in the night it could be lonely at night they could be vulnerable to attack at night they'd be exposed to the elements and so the reality is this that just as the daytime can be intense the nighttime can be pretty scary and daunting as well and he says that the lord is with you each moment of the day see god stands between us and every threat that we face bring shelter, refreshment, and safety to us. He's a good watchman. He's always staying alert and caring for us ceaselessly. So we see in this psalm, in the first couple of verses, that we need to acknowledge our need for help from the Lord. In the next set of verses, we see that we should accept the Lord's help. And then this last section, verses 7 and 8, you'll see in point 3 that we are to trust Him with our lives forever. Trust Him with your life forever look with me down at verses seven and eight the lord will keep you from all evil he will keep your life and so i'm really focusing in on the last of verse seven when it says he will keep your life the lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore verse seven in the ESV, it says that he keeps us from evil or all evil in most of the translations besides the ESV, it uses the word harm so maybe your translation has the word harm. He won't keep you from evil. I mean, sorry, he will keep you. I, I can't I retract that statement. He will keep us from evil. He will keep us from harm. So now back to a question I brought up a moment ago. Is what the psalmist is saying here, is he saying that we that follow Jesus won't face any adversity or harm in life? And the answer is absolutely not. That's not what he's saying. Be careful that you don't take this verse out of context. And what I mean by that is just look back at verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist acknowledges he needs help. So therefore, trouble does come his way. So he's not saying, oh, we'll have no trouble whatsoever. 
He's saying trouble does come our way. We will be distressed. We will be anxious. We will be nervous. We will be confused. We will be lost. We will not always know what to do. So what is he saying in verse 7 when he says that the Lord will keep us from all evil or all harm? Like I said, it's not saying that we won't face adversity. It's not saying that we won't face bad health. It's not saying that we won't have financial problems. I found a quote in one of the commentaries that I was reading this week. I don't remember which one, but I like what the commentator writer put. And here's what he said. God does not promise that we will never have problems. But he does promise to be with us in our problems. So whenever he says, I will keep you, or the Lord will keep you from all evil, he's not saying we will never have problems. But in the midst of those problems... He promises to be with us. So my challenge to all of us is that we would trust in the Lord's watch care as he helps us deal with the things that we come up, what we experience in life, whether it be terrors of the night or the pressures of the day. Now let's look a little closer at verse 7. When he says he will keep your life. I know a few uh, months ago, we looked at this word life, and the word life in the Hebrew is the word nephesh. And the reason I share that word is because we need to understand what he means by the word nephesh. It's not just your physical being, like he will keep you alive like your heart beating. It's not just that kind of life. Rather, in the Hebrew, the word life here means the entirety of who we are. It's the entire person. It's not just the physical side of us, but everything about us. And so when he says in verse 7, he will keep your life, he's not just talking about physical safety. The most important aspect of us understanding that the Lord has a desire to keep our lives has to do first and foremost with our spiritual side of our life. See, the scripture all throughout from from the beginning, the first page to the last page, indicates to us, and we experience in our lives, that God made us in his image in order that we would bring glory and honor to his name, but because of Adam and because of our own sin, all of us sin and fall short of God's glory. That none of us live a perfect life. We live far from a perfect life. And the Bible says that whenever we disobey God, whenever we decide we're in charge, whenever we think we're self-sufficient, when we think we don't need God's help, when we think we know how to run the show better than he does, then we are sinners. And every last one of us in this room, online, we are sinners. And the scripture says that because of our sin, that we are eternally, forever, completely, utterly separated from a holy, perfect God. Because God cannot have anything to do with sin because he's holy and perfect but the wonderful amazing great news is this that that's not the end of the story but that God sent his son Jesus Christ that Jesus walked on this earth that he lived a life that was perfect God in the flesh without sin tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin he didn't deserve death and yet he died on the cross as a sacrifice in our place that our sins might be forgiven the scripture says that because you and I deserve death that he willingly went to the cross taking the sin of the world on his shoulders and died for us 
That is not the end of the story, though, right? Scripture promised all along, and then we see it happen, that three days later he was raised again. He's alive today. Sin didn't have the final word. Satan didn't have the final word. All of that was removed. That if we acknowledge our need for help and accept the help that he offers to us, we can receive forgiveness of our sins, salvation through his work and not ours. The salvation is available not because of what we do, but because of what he has done. That he sent his son to die for us, He did that. He was raised on the third day. And if I would trust in him, then I can experience what it fully means that he keeps my life. But I'll just shoot straight with you. Like, I don't know everybody in this room. I definitely don't know everybody online. But I can guarantee you there are people in this room and you think I'm good with the big guy in the sky because I'm here this morning because I pray sometimes, because I'm a nice guy to my neighbors, because I've never killed anybody, because I don't swear too much, because my grandpappy was a preacher, because my mama always drugged me to church. Like, I'm good with, I, I, I memorized all the verses in Awana. I'm good with the man upstairs. But the problem is, everything I just listed, isn't that self-sufficiency? Isn't that work? Isn't that something that I did to deserve this? The reality is this, that all of us need the ultimate help, and that is we need forgiveness of our sins, and it's available only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection on our behalf. So if I'll place my faith and my trust in him, then I can experience eternal life. Not only in heaven, but starting right here, right now. So guys, here's my question. Have you ever said yes to Jesus Christ? Have you accepted his free gift of salvation to you? Don't walk out of here this morning going, man, the preacher said that whenever I need help, I just call out to God, God, help me, he's going to help me. If you don't know him, then yes, he hears your voice, but the help he's trying to send your way It's not the help you're trying to receive. He's not trying to get you out of a pickle. He's trying to resuscitate you back from the dead. Because your sin has you dead in the grave until you trust in his finished work. So this morning, maybe the most important thing, it is the most important thing, but maybe what you need to do is the most important thing you could ever do and that is grab one of these connection cards and at the bottom it says my my decision today is i'm committing my life to christ or i'd like to learn more about jesus and salvation or i want to be baptized maybe maybe you need to make a spiritual decision like that to trust the lord with your life Maybe you don't want this card. Maybe you want to run down here, walk down here, whatever, in a minute when we sing a few songs and say, Alan, I've got to have that. I I want to trust in Jesus for my salvation. Guys, this is not a message about we need three easy steps to get out of every pickle we face in life. Rather, this is trusting in the Lord with our entire life, beginning first and foremost with our spiritual life and trusting in him. 
I want to finish up in just a second, but as I do, I want us to look real quickly at verse 8. In verse 8, he says, the Lord's going to keep your going out and your coming in. And he's going to do that from this time forth and forevermore. And so there's a couple of aspects that we see in this, how we can trust him with our life forever. Back then, it was an agrarian society, right? They would be living inside the, 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 the confounds, uh, whatever, I can't speak clearly, of a, of a village or a town or a city. Some of them would have a wall around it. Not all of them would, but there would be this safety where they're all kind of together, right? They re really wouldn't be able to raise a crop or animals inside the town. And so after they would wake up in the morning, most of the men would probably get up and leave the house and go out to the surrounding countryside for the day. And then at the end of the day, what would they do? They would come back in. So there's this sense of going out and coming back in. It's a mention to the daily rhythm of their lives. It's this idea of wherever we go, whatever we do, that we can trust that God is keeping us. He's protecting us in all that we do. His watching over us, as we see at the end of verse 8, is forever. It's forever and ever and ever. His care for us is comprehensive. In all circumstances, he'll always watch over us. My question is, are you trusting him with your life, or are you still trying to call the shots? Do you believe the words that say that he will keep you from all evil, he will keep your life, or are you like, I got this, God, I don't need your help? If you're not a follower in Jesus, you need to say yes to him for salvation. If you are a follower of Jesus, my question is, are you saying yes to him in a way that you're trusting him to lead your life and follow him in every aspect, always? So this morning, not only in Psalm 121, but anywhere you turn in Scripture, the Scripture is clear. We need help, and that help comes from the Lord. We see that it can be very difficult for us to let others in and let them help us, but we can trust the Lord. You see, he's the creator, he's all-powerful, he's sovereign, he's in charge, he won't let us down. But my question is, are you trusting in him, or are you trusting in yourself? I said a moment ago, though, we need to be careful that the help we ask for is not just when we get ourselves in a bind. You don't need to walk out this morning and go, well, that's great, I'll file it away, and the next time I'm in, a, I'm in a bind, next time I'm really scared, I'll maybe read Psalm 121, maybe I'll call out to the Lord. No, the reality is all of us, 100% of us, whatever we're facing, we need God's help now, today, constantly. So you need to walk out this morning acknowledging that this is uh, all-consuming, constant awareness of our need for God. You see, Christianity is not about God fixing our problems. Let me say that again. Christianity is not about God fixing our problems. If, if we come to church and we preach a sermon, we look at the text and we go, how can I benefit from that? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better wife? How can I avoid financial debacles how can i do this this and this if we're constantly just seeing how what god can do for us we're missing the point christianity a life of following jesus is all about his grace and it's his grace that empowers us for salvation 
to accept Jesus as our Savior. It's His grace that empowers us through the life of sanctification, which simply means to become more and more like Jesus. As we walk through this life, if I want to follow Jesus more closely, if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I cannot do it on my own. So I've got to ask God for His help to empower me to become more like Him. If I want to study His Word, I've got to ask His help to study the Word. I'm not going to do it on my own. We need His help, right? Without Him, we can't bring Him glory. If our job, if our responsibility uh, as an image bearer of God is to bring Him glory, we can't do that on our own either. So whether life is going well or whether life is not going so well, we need His help. Here at our church, we talk a lot about being a disciple, making disciples, being the church, all of it to the glory of God. And if we want to live those things out, we can't do it on our own. And therefore, we have to acknowledge our need for help, accept the help that he gives us, and trust him along the way. You know, as we came out of COVID, as we went through the last two and a half years, has it been that long? Or has it maybe been a decade? It feels like a decade in some ways. But as we've walked over these last two and a half years, has it not been a challenge? I mean, it's been a challenge to our nation. It's been a challenge to businesses. It's been a challenge to school districts. It's been a challenge to the health care industry. Providers, I should say, not industry, the health care providers. It's been a challenge to churches. It's been a challenge to our church, has it not? If you walked in our doors in February of 2020 and took a snapshot of the room and the occupants in the room, y'all are not just occupants, I just happen to use that word, and then you took a picture today and you put them side by side, would the room look the same? Has, has that process of change and things that God is doing and at work in, has that always been comfortable and easy? It's okay, you can shake your head no. But here's what I know. The Lord is at work, not in this place, but the Lord is at work in his people that make up Living Hope Baptist Church, and God is doing some incredible things, and we need to continue to cry out to him for help and trust his help and acknowledge our need for help and seek to glorify his name because of what he's doing through his people here. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be a part of what God's doing here. I'm glad that he's brought you here. Some of you are here for your very first time, and maybe your last time. Maybe you'll say, you know what, God just isn't leading us there. Or, or it could be that maybe God's calling you to, to, to commit and lean in and press in and be a part of what this church family is seeking to do for the glory of God. But along the way, whatever decisions we make in that regard, as we seek to be a church, as we seek to find the place that God has for us, we must trust in him. He is the one who keeps us. My question is, are we going to trust him in that keeping? I'm going to lead us in prayer. And after the prayer, we'll sing a song or two. During the singing of that song, some offering plates are going to be passed. If you came prepared to give financially, that's great. Drop that there. If you want to give online, you can do that. If you're doing neither one, whichever. If you want to drop a connection card, we'd love to have some information about you, any decisions you've made, things like that. You can drop that there.
Also, if you want to come and pray at the altar, it'll be available for you to do that. If you want to come and pray with me, I'll be available. Don't leave this place unchanged. Not because of me, not because of the singing, but because of God's word. Are you trusting him? Are you saying yes to him? And like I said, for some of you, would you say yes to him for the very first time today and receive his salvation, not through what you have done because you can't do it, but because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Let me pray for us.